Hello and welcome to Frontier of Infinity. It's been a while since we've done an ancillary episode, but this is one that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. In the main series, we've just finished up both Project Mercury and the Vostok program, the first two crewed programs undertaken by the United States and the USSR. Before we move on, I want to cover a project that was unfolding in parallel with Project Mercury. While it wasn't a dedicated space program, it nonetheless produced a few space flights. Today, we're covering the experimental aircraft designated the X-15, and the test pilots who flew it, several of whom would eventually reach space, either in the X-15 itself or on dedicated spacecraft later on. Throughout the duration of the Second World War, aircraft technology had come a long way. One of the more notable fields of advancement was speed. Planes had become faster, and jet engines had been implemented on a large scale for the first time. In the wake of the war, the new holy grail of aviation became the sound barrier to build an aircraft capable of flying faster than the speed of sound. Now, sound waves move very quickly, about 343 meters per second depending on air conditions. That rounds out at roughly 767 miles per hour. It's fast. Now, to put that in perspective, the North American P-51 Mustang a World War II fighter plane revered for its speed, was only able to reach 437 miles per hour. One of the fastest aircraft of World War II, the Messerschmitt ME-163, which was powered not by jets but by rockets, was capable of only reaching a top speed of 596 miles per hour. Constructing an airplane which could exceed the sound barrier was a major engineering challenge, but it was one that was accepted by the world's aeronautical engineers, and just two years after the war ended, that goal was met in the United States. The National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, NACA, which was the predecessor to NASA, had partnered with the U.S. Army Air Force, later the U.S. Air Force, and Bell Aircraft to produce an experimental, rocket-powered airplane which was designated the Bell XS-1, or simply X-1. It had actually been designed before the end of World War II, and was constructed in 1945. But on October 14, 1947, it made history. Test pilot Charles Chuck Yeager flew an X-1 affectionately named Glamorous Glennis after his wife, at a speed of 1.05 Mach. One Mach is equal to the speed of sound. So Mach 2 is two times the speed of sound, Mach 3 is three times the speed of sound, and so on. The plane was initially hoisted aloft by a B-29 Superfortress, 
which carried it to altitude, where the X-1 would be cut loose from the plane and its rocket engine took over propulsion. The sound barrier was conquered. But the X-1 was just the first in a long line of so-called X-planes, which were each designed to push the boundaries of aviation. Eventually, X-planes were flying as fast as Mach 3.2. But come 1952, NACA had turned its attention to space. Two years later, as investigations were being made into the challenges associated with spaceflight, the Research Airplane Projects panel within NACA considered the need for a new X-plane, which could be used to both study hypersonic and spaceflight. For clarity as we move forward, supersonic refers to speeds above Mach 1, while hypersonic refers to speeds above Mach 5. By July of 1954, NACA had prepared a list of requirements for such a plane, and presented them to the Air Force and Navy. Later that year, in December, the Air Force, Navy, and NACA had all three signed on to the joint project and the Air Force selected North American Aviation to construct the new X-15, while a company called Reaction Motors would craft the engines. The contract requested three such aircraft. A team of engineers from North American performed the bulk of the design work, guided by the Langley Aeronautical Laboratory, which was a NACA installation. The goal was to design and build an aircraft that could exceed Mach 5. Doing so would allow for testing of all sorts of phenomena to get underway. One of the major issues with very fast aircraft is heat buildup. Moving through the air at high speeds generates a lot of friction, which heats the aircraft. Managing and dissipating this heat can be a major challenge. But the X-15 would allow the engineers and scientists on the ground to learn more about how heat builds up on planes flying in the hypersonic ballpark. It would also allow for investigations into the physiological effects of moving a person that fast. The human body can be a fickle thing, and we did not evolve to scream across the heavens faster than sound. But the X-15 was also to help support the burgeoning space program. The hope was to construct an aircraft capable of flying right up to the edge of space, 100 kilometers or 62 miles by international standards, 50 miles by contemporary U.S. standards. Doing so would allow for data to be collected on the physiological effects of flying that high and that fast. The design that was eventually finalized is an odd-looking plane, but one that I think looks quite good. It was a long, thin aircraft with a pair of stubby wings positioned well behind the cockpit. It was just 15 and a quarter meters long, or about 50 feet, and had a 6.7 meter, or 22 foot wingspan. The airframe was to be constructed internally of titanium, but for the outside, which would have to absorb the brunt of the intense heat, a new alloy was created called Inconel X which, it was hoped, would be able to contend with such high temperatures for prolonged periods. The new metal proved satisfactory, 
as the X-15 skin could withstand temperatures as high as 649 degrees Celsius, about 1,200 Fahrenheit. It could carry only one crewman, and it made use of a strange tail configuration. It had a vertical stabilizer on both the top and the bottom of the plane. In order to land, the bottom stabilizer would have to be jettisoned so that it wouldn't slam into the ground before the landing gear. The cockpit was extremely cramped, with barely enough room for a pilot in a pressure suit alongside the myriad buttons and switches that adorned almost every surface. Visibility was granted by two small windows, which severely limited how much the pilot could see. Luckily, it was outfitted with an ejection seat, but that feature could not be used while the plane was hypersonic. If something went wrong during a hypersonic flight, the pilot would need to reduce speed to a more traditional level before punching out. For maneuvering in the lower atmosphere, traditional control surfaces were used, rudders and ailerons which would push against the air to change the direction of the aircraft. But the X-15 was also designed to fly high. So high that the air would grow too thin for these common control surfaces to be useful. To keep the pilot from being completely at the mercy of Isaac Newton, a reactive control system was built in, which made use of hydrogen peroxide jets on the nose and wings. These could fire in various directions to provide course control in a very similar manner as the maneuvering jets on the Mercury capsule. The most notable component of the plane, though, was definitely the engine. It was to be rocket-powered just like its ancestor, the X-1. But the X-15 used the XLR-99 rocket engine, which was capable of pushing it to the ludicrous speeds it was expected to meet. Burning anhydrous ammonia and liquid oxygen, and being capable of 240 kilonewtons of thrust at sea level, not even the great SR-71 Blackbird would be able to keep pace with it. The fuel tanks on the X-15 carried a combined weight of 8,165 kilograms, that's 18,000 pounds of propellant. But the XLR-99 would burn through that fuel in no more than 85 seconds. This incredible rate of fuel consumption required the X-15 to carry external fuel tanks on longer and faster missions just to sate the needs of the engine. But the thrust output of the X-15 was also throttleable. This was done by controlling the turbo pump that forced fuel and oxidizer into the combustion chamber. A turbo pump uses fast-moving gas to spin a turbine, but using the spent fuel from the engine's combustion would damage the pump, as the temperatures of the burned rocket fuel were too high. As a result, Hydrogen peroxide was used to drive the pump instead, the same chemical which was used to power the reactive control system. Passing the hydrogen peroxide through a silver screen catalyst caused an exothermic reaction, wherein it would decompose into gaseous oxygen and water vapor. The vapor would be very hot, and thus could be used to drive the pump. Controlling the pump was easy. Simply dial back the volume of peroxide passing through the catalyst, and less steam would be produced to drive the pump. 
The X-1 had had a stepped thrust control system, as it was equipped with four separate combustion chambers that could be selectively activated. But the X-15's complex pump control system would provide it with continuous thrust control. Also like the X-1, the X-15 would be launched from a mothership, though the B-29 had been replaced by the jet-powered B-52 Stratofortress. The first flight-ready X-15 made its debut at NASA's High Speed Flight Station in 1959. It began its career with a series of demonstration flights, but once those were completed, the research flights could begin. Over the course of the 199 research flights that would be made by the X-15 from 1959 to 1968, it set numerous aviation records and revealed whole troves of valuable information about supersonic and hypersonic flight. Test pilot Pete Knight set a speed record when he hit Mach 6.7 in an X-15, and a separate flight laid a new altitude record when it flew to 354,200 feet. That's 107,960 meters. On the engineering side of things, the X-15 program produced heaps of data on heating rates of hypersonic aircraft, as well as the way airframes react when flying that fast. New information on pilot physiology in the hypersonic domain, as well as stability and control in the higher reaches of the atmosphere, were produced as well. The program also saw the creation of the first full-pressure suit, which was capable of protecting a pilot in space. And all of these benefits were joined by many other useful engineering and scientific breakthroughs that are nigh innumerable. The pilots who flew the X-15 were the very best in their field. It was a particularly dangerous aircraft to fly given its incredible speed and operational ceiling. It took skill and grit to pilot. But the project wasn't without its difficulties. It ran over budget for one. But there were also problems encountered during the flights. In November of 1961, when the X-15 first reached Mach 6 with test pilot Robert White at the controls, the outer pane on one of his windows cracked due to thermal stresses. Luckily, White was able to bring the plane down safely, even with the limited visibility. But this occurrence sparked new fears about the safety of future hypersonic flights. Luckily, the problem was able to be solved with some simple tweaks made to the frame that held the window in place. Then there was an occurrence in 1962, which served as the introduction to Episode 18. A test pilot you may have heard of. Neil Armstrong, bounced off of the atmosphere while his plane was making a descent. This rebound sent him sailing upwards with minimal control, but he was able to wrest back control of his plane as he fell toward the deck and still made a safe landing. The most severe incident to strike the X-15 program, however, played out on November 15, 1967. Pilot Michael Adams was at the controls of the plane. At first, the flight went well. The plane and its pilot reached its target altitude of 81 kilometers, or about 266,000 feet. But during the aircraft's descent, 
it's heading straight off course by roughly 15 degrees. This situation deteriorated further when the aircraft began to spin as a result, while still traveling at Mach 5. This cocktail of forces exerted 15 Gs on the airframe, and the aircraft disintegrated. Michael Adams was killed, the only fatal casualty of the X-15 program. But despite the difficulties that the program faced, it was a resounding success overall. The program was finally canceled in 1968, after running continuously for almost a full decade. The X-15 had produced enormous sums of new scientific and engineering knowledge, which not only contributed to the design of future hypersonic aircraft, but also blazed the trail that Project Mercury expanded into orbit. Of the 12 pilots who flew the X-15, eight of them reached the edge of space and were duly awarded astronaut wings. They were Joseph A. Walker Robert M. White William H. Dana John B. McKay Robert A. Rushworth Joe H. Engel William Pete Knight and Michael Adams While the X-15 may not get the same recognition as the spacecraft of Project Mercury, it was a highly influential aircraft and experimental platform. To this day, it holds the world record for the fastest crewed flight of an aircraft. Never has an airplane as fast as the X-15 flown. It is considered, and I would say rightly, as the world's first space plane. Author Roger Bilstein wrote this of the X-15's achievements. Quote, The fallout was far-reaching in numerous crucial areas. The X-15 survival encouraged extensive use of comparatively exotic alloys such as titanium and Inconel X, which led to machining and production techniques that became standard in the aerospace industry. End quote. If you would like to see the two remaining X-15s, I'm pleased to say that you can. One of them is on display at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., and the other is at the National Museum of the United States Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio. The X-15 remains as an engineering marvel and an undersung guidestone on the road to space. Next week, we're finishing off Season 1 with a big review of all the ground we've covered thus far. Then it's on to Season 2 and the next phase in space exploration. Thanks for listening, folks. I'll see you among the stars.